Go ahead and grab your seats and grab a Bible and turn with me to the New Testament book of Colossians chapter 2. We will be there momentarily. Well, this morning I want to welcome all of you. My name is Josh. I'm the teaching minister here at Clear Creek. And it's our mission as a church to help connect our city with God and to one another. And to that end, one of the things that we value here is studying God's Word, not just at a cursory level, but going in deeply and understanding what He would have to say, not only to people back then, but to us today. And so we've been going through this beautiful New Testament book. By the way, you say, uh, New Testament, what's that? If you're new to church, let me just explain it. In the Bible, it's divided in Old and New Testament. The Old Testament happens before Jesus. The New Testament begins with the birth of Christ on through the rest of the Bible. And in the New Testament, a man by the name of Paul, who was a follower of Jesus, he writes this little letter to a church in the city of Colossae. Now, since they were in Colossae, they're called Colossians, hence the book or letter to the Colossians. And in this, what he wants them to know is very simple. Ready? He wants them to know this. Can you say this with me? It's all about Jesus. Let's do this one more time. Ready? It's all about Jesus. Everything. It's about Jesus. And so we're going to get into that this morning. Before we do, I'm just going to need to make a little uh, disclaimer here. I'm a little pecked this morning, so if I don't give you a high five or a hug this morning, it's for your safety, not mine. Um, But I would ask that you pray for me over the next few minutes that I can get this out and that we talk about what God would have us do. Also, if you'll pray that this thing continues to stay up. I think we were having problems earlier. Uh, Next Sunday's uh, budget will go towards a new mic stand. Hey, I want to begin this morning with a quick question. I'm going to ask you to raise your hand if you can affirm this question. Are you ready? How many of you remember the game or ever played the game, Simon Says. Can I see some hands? <sighs> this is the game that all control freaks love, does it not? You know, that little kid on the playground never gets in charge of anything, never gets to be team captain, but if he gets to be Simon in Simon Says, greatest moment of his life. How do you play, Simon Says? Very simple. One person is Simon. Why Simon? We don't know, because Simon says, I guess. Simon gets to say something, and all the other little players must do what Simon says. And the key is, the Simon says person must say, Simon says. If you do it when Simon says, you're in. If you don't do it, or if you do it when Simon doesn't say, Simon says, are you confused yet? You're out. I remember in college, I I had a lot of different jobs to help pay for things. One of those was as an after-school care worker, meaning uh, I would go to a local elementary and I would watch the kids who needed to be kept until their parents got off work. And it was one of the greatest greatest gigs I ever had because it's the only place that I got to play games and I was the biggest person playing the games. (laughs) Not only that, but also, I mean, during snack time, man, you got two chocolate milks if you were the teacher or the, I mean, it was awesome. But we used to go out into the big yard and uh, we'd play different games and this was one of the games we'd play with Simon Says. And there was one kid who was particularly power hungry and always loved it, always was a bit of a stinker whenever uh, he'd get the role, and I remember one day the principal 
I was out sort of walking the yard behind us. Walking the yard. Sounds almost like prison, doesn't it? But she's walking the yard, and she's back there, and we're all playing the game, and he's just going for it. The game is wearing long, and finally, some of the parents begin to come to pick up their children. And one of the parents calls her daughter and says, it's time to go home. And Simon, for whatever reason, thought, nope, that's not good, and said, Simon didn't say. At that, the principal, who just happened to be behind Simon at that moment, said, oh, yes, she did. We like to be Simon, don't we? My way, this way, all the way, right away. Our big brother in the faith, Paul, is going to say, church, you need to watch out for Simons. There is but one voice who dictates what you do. All other voices need to be filtered through the filter of, is this from my father? Is this from my big brother Jesus? Is this from the leading of the spirit? Is this from God? Because there are going to be Simons who want to dictate what you do and say, hear me now, here's the big idea. There are Simons in this world who are going to tell you it is Jesus plus something to have relationship with God. That Jesus is not enough, but Simon says Jesus plus something. And so he's going to point out two Simons this morning in the text that we're going to look at. And what I'd like for us to do is not simply look out for the Simons out there, but be cautious of the Simon that lives in our own heart. Because as we read this passage, I suspect that for many of us in here, we're going to see things and go, ooh, that's me. And as God shows that to us, take that as his loving grace that he cares so much for you that he wants you to grow and mature. So here we go. We're going to look, and I'm going to show you these two Simons beginning in Colossians chapter 2. The first one is in verse 16 and 17. It says this. Therefore, by the way, Teacher, a friend of mine used to say, whenever you see the word therefore in the text, always ask, what is it there for? Therefore, in light of everything that he has just said about who Jesus is and what Jesus has done and how Jesus has brought you life and you have died to the old world, the old self, therefore, do not let, what's that word, church? Anyone. Don't let your preacher, don't let your friend, don't let your coworker, don't let anyone judge you by, now this is the key phrase, what you, look at what it puts up here, next slide, eat or drink, or with regards to, notice these three things, religious festival, a new moon celebration, Or a Sabbath day. Now, here's what's going on. Paul is saying, don't let anyone judge you by what you eat or by special days. As one author puts it, don't let someone judge you by your diet or the days that you celebrate. Because verse 17 says this. Next slide. These are a shadow of the things that were to come. The reality, however, is found in Christ. Paul is wanting to say that there's a difference between a shadow and the substance. How many of you have ever been afraid of a shadow? Can I see some hands? How many of you, never mind, we won't go any further. So, my kids, we love to play together. And one of the things that we do 
And, and I remember, uh, it's been a few years ago, but we used to do like shadow puppets. And I would play, and, and it was really more with Emma, who's at home right now. She's sick with Lindsay, and so they're, they're hopefully watching online right now. By the way, did you know that our church is online every Sunday? So people are able to be a part of this, even if they're sick or not able to be here. It's really cool. But anyway, so with Emma, we would do shadow puppets and do things, and, and, and she'd get so excited, she'd, she'd want to hug the shadow She'd want to touch the shadow. It's like, oh, it's such a cute shadow. But then I'd say, baby, it's just my hands. My hands are making the shadow. And when she realized that, it was like, oh, I don't want to hug the shadow. She wanted to hug the hands. And when she hugged the hands, she noticed the shadow changed. And so she wanted to stop hugging the hands. But the point is, when you have the substance, you don't need the shadow. On my desk in my office, there are pictures of my children because I love my children. I want to see pictures of them. They are representations of them. But then this morning before Bible class, my son Stephen came into my office. And I didn't want to hug one of the pictures because I then had my son. He was present. And what Paul is saying, there are certain things that are shadows that were made for the people of God. But when the substance of Jesus came, you don't need the shadows anymore. You keep saying, well, Josh, what are these shadows? The Old Testament was in the Old Testament, the people of God were given certain laws, dietary primarily, and days, special days, diets and days, and they were used to distinguish the people of God from the rest of the world. It's sort of like if you're playing a sport, you wear a a particular jersey to say, I'm on this team. And so they ate certain things and didn't eat certain things. They drank certain things, didn't drink certain things. They celebrated certain days, all as a way of saying, I'm with God. But then he says, that was just a shadow. When Jesus came, you didn't have to do this to distinguish that you're with God. You simply say, I'm with Jesus. Well, you say, how do you, how do you get with Jesus? Well, we talked about last week. You die to yourself. You are buried with him in baptism. You are raised. You are now with Jesus. But there were some people in their culture, in their community, maybe even in their church, who were saying, no, 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 no. If you want, if you want, if you want to be with God, if you want to be spiritual, it is not enough to love Jesus, you have to follow certain practices. So this is the first Simon. We're going to call him the Simon of legalism. We talked about this some last week, but the Simon of legalism, if you're taking notes, the Simon of legalism. And here's all legalism says. Jesus plus more rules. That's legalism. Jesus plus more rules. Jesus plus eat this, drink this, don't eat this, don't drink this. Jesus plus anything else, legalism. And Paul says, do not let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink or the celebration days. And he lists all the different days. Like the, he says, there are festivals that you do annually. There's new moon or monthly ones and there's weekly Sabbaths. But you are not bound by those things. Now, real quick question, church. Do we still have a problem with legalism in the church? Yes or no? Yeah. Do we still have disagreements over diets and days? Now, now, when I say diets, I'm not saying, should I diet or should I not? No, although that's a disagreement I have with myself regularly. No, do we have disagreements over what a Christ follower can or cannot do? Let's just, let's just pick on a few. By the way, um, how many of you are wearing open-toe shoes this morning, like sandals or anything? You may want to lift your feet up because we're going to step on toes, and I apologize, but <laughs> da-dunch. So here's what I want us to do. 
You're going, oh boy, those medications are really affecting you. This is without medication. So here we go. I want you to think with me for a moment here. What about the things that we eat? Is it true that Christians have differences of opinion about what we ought to eat or drink? Oh yeah. I have a dear friend in Nashville. She is a wonderful Christ follower. And because of certain convictions she holds, she is a vegan. How many of you know what a vegan is? means she doesn't eat anything that was made with animal product, nothing whatsoever. I have another friend in Houston, Texas. She grew up on a, uh, on a ranch where they had bulls and, and cows and stuff. And her philosophy was, if it ain't meat, I won't eat. Okay, So for her, it's all about the meat. For my other friend, it's about no meat. They have differences, and it's built on biblical convictions. One says, I want to take care of the animal kingdom. The other one says, God has given us this as a gift. Now, you may say that's a silly example, but it's one that Christians struggle with. What about drink? Is it true that good Christians have differences of opinion when it comes to alcohol? Absolutely. Some say one should never be near alcohol. Others say no. Uh, So long as you don't get drunk, it's okay. But do we disagree when it comes to certain things of matter of faith? Absolutely. What about days? Uh, just show of hands, how many of you are going to or plan to celebrate Christmas this year? Can I, anyone going to get Christmas gifts? Any, anyone? Yeah, I love Christmas. Now, if you just raised your hand, then that's, it's clear that you are not a Puritan. Because the Puritans did not celebrate Christmas. In fact, they worked on Christmas as a way of proving they don't celebrate Christmas. What about Easter? We're going to celebrate that in the spring, but did you know that Easter comes out of, or at least part of it comes out of a pagan holiday that worshipped this god named Estra? Then there are other Christians who say, well, we shouldn't, you know, celebrate Christmas or Easter, but what about Halloween here in about just three, four, five weeks? And of course, for many, we go, well, you know, it came from a very dark pagan background, and so, you know, we just, we don't celebrate that. Here's the point. Christians still disagree about these things. So what do we do? Here's what you need to understand about legalism. Almost always, almost always, legalism is born out of someone's bad struggle or experience. Someone has had an experience or a struggle, and because of something they experienced, they faced, they dealt with, they say, I need to have an extra fence or an extra protective layer between me and this thing. Let me give you an example. A good friend of mine who I've known uh, all through growing up, he just got out of a year-long alcohol rehab program because he has struggled with alcoholism since he was in high school. Now, for him... He has had to set up additional barriers between himself and any alcohol. So he will not go anywhere where alcohol is served. He will never pick up a glass himself. I mean, he is teetotaler, and he creates a lot of barriers. Why? Because he had a bad experience, a bad struggle, and he knows it would be unwise. Uh, There are things that for each of us, we have those situations. I have another friend. Uh, He has come out of some very dark backgrounds, some very dark situations growing up. And so for him... He will never go see a horror movie. Now, some of you, you may go, man, I love horror movies. That's fine. But for him, he says, I just can't do it because it brings back too many memories. So there are differences that we have, and often legalism is born out of this. But here's where legalism gets to be a problem where it's not helpful, is when we make our laws your laws. And so here's maybe a real simple way to think about this. Here's principle number one, if you just kind of want to jot down notes. Do it... Whatever it is, do it if it draws me to God. If it's not sinful, unethical, or immoral, do it if it draws me to God. But, notice this, 
Never confuse my rules for God's laws. Never confuse my rules for God's laws. Meaning, there may be things that I will choose to do that you don't have to do. But I will do it because it draws me closer to God. You don't have to do it. I may make some rules for me that you do not have to hold on to. Because at the end of the day, Josh Diggs is not your Simon. You're not someone else's Simon. There's but one voice the church listens to, and that is Jesus Christ. Amen? And so, Paul just wants you to know, you've been set free. Don't let someone else judge you by this. Now, let's go on to the next part. Verse 18, he continues by saying, the next one he's going to point out. He says, do not let anyone, everybody say anyone, do not let anyone who delights in false humility and the worship of angels or spiritual experiences disqualify you for the prize. Now, this idea of disqualify, it's, the word really is referring to like a referee. If you've ever been to a soccer game or a football game or anything else, this is the one who's calling fouls, who's, who's ca- throwing the red cards. This is that guy. Don't let someone play referee with you on this one. Verse 19, he has lost connection with the head from whom the whole body supported and held together by its ligaments and sinews grows as God causes it to grow. Here's what he's saying. There are some people who are going to be, Simon says, with legalism, but there's another group entirely. And in fact, I'm going to show you something here that may make some sense to those of you in the room here in just a moment. This first group is legalist. The second one we might just call the feelism. You say, is that a real word? Well, I just made it a real word. Feelism, okay? Feelism. What do I feel? Because in that passage, you notice they go on and on about what they've seen, what they've experienced, what they've had in front of them. That they're all about the feelies, all about the experiences. He says, don't you dare let someone disqualify you because of legalism and just as dangerous. Don't let someone disqualify you because of certain feelings they say you must have or never have or whatever ever. Uh, A buddy of mine years ago when he was in college, he was at a Christian university and he heard about this guy's devotional Bible study that was happening in his dorm and he, he said, hey, could I come be a part of this Bible study with you? And one of the guys said, well, have you ever spoken in tongues? And he goes, Hmm? What? No? Hmm? And they said, no, no, that doesn't count. That, that mumbling, that wasn't it. Okay, no. He said, no. And they said, well, I'm sorry. You've not had that experience. You can't be with us. You're not spiritual enough. Paul is going to warn us against people who say Jesus plus more rules, and he's also now going to warn us against people who it's Jesus plus certain feelings or experiences. Jesus plus, go ahead and put the slide up, Jesus plus certain feelings or experiences. And so one of the ways this has played out, I think, in churches around the world has been uh, when it comes to that you've got to feel a certain way to be in relationship with God. And here's what I've noticed. These two, legalism and feelism, tend to, at least right now, we see it more, legalism with older generations and feelism from younger generations. How does it make you feel? As though the feelings determine your connection to God or not to God. I've been married to my wife, Lindsay, now coming up on 13 years this December. I know some of you are going, man, you're still a baby. Yes, I am. Pray for me. But we've been married almost 13 years. It has been a great gift to be married to Lindsay. She is, I mean, just, she's phenomenal. She's a godly woman. 
But this may come as a shock to those of you who are married. There are some days that we do not feel very much in love. Have you ever experienced that? Don't, don't nod too strongly right now, okay? Have you ever had that moment where you're like, I love my wife, and the next day you're like, eh, maybe not so much. Does your feeling dictate your relationship with your spouse? No. In fact, it's because of the up and down flow of feelings that on that day when you said, I do, and she said, I do, that you didn't just say, I do, I do, that was it. You then began to make promises. You committed to certain things that were concrete, unchanging, regardless of your feelings, because feelings come and go. They do not determine a relationship. Can I get an amen? This is why I think it is so important what he says about there being this connection to the head. He says, listen, these kind of people, they're disconnected from the head. Think about this with me. How many senses does the body have? Good job, five. Okay, here we go. You've got the sense of hearing, sight, smell, taste, and touch, right? Now, if you get rid of the head, how many senses does your body still have? One. You cut off the head. The head is the only thing that has sight, sound, smell, and taste. Connection to the head allows you to experience the world in its fullness. A body without a head is blind and it's deaf, it's or deaf and it's mute. It has no sense. All you have left is the sense of feeling. It's how it makes me feel. Hear me now. Be very cautious of anyone who determines what is right and wrong simply by how it makes them feel. Connection to the head is not optional. Connection to Jesus the head is essential for life. I have a friend whose father has had diabetes for about 50 years of his 75 years of life. And he's gotten to the point where, as some of you may know, with diabetes you get neuropathy where you lose feeling in certain parts of your body, usually the hands and the feet. And my friend's father, this has been maybe four years ago, one day he was, he was doing a bath, he was getting the water ready and he had not paid attention, he did not look at the water. The problem is his hands and his feet have lost so much sense of touch that he has to go by sight to see if there's steam coming up off the water to know if it will burn him. Well, he didn't look, he got in the tub and he got second and third degree burns on his feet. But he didn't feel anything. Feelings alone are horrible leaders. Here's principle number two. Are you ready? Feelings are great followers, but bad leaders. Feelings are great followers, but bad leaders. Your feelings are a gift from God. They are there to help you, but they are terrible decision makers. Well, I'm close to God if I feel a certain way in church. Listen to me, family. This morning, I don't care if you went away with the highest feeling. Oh, that song, it spoke to me. Or, oh, that moment, it got me. Or, oh, I'm close to God. Listen to me. The morning that you have the greatest feeling in church and the morning that you have the least feeling, you are just as close to Jesus both mornings. He is here in this place. He is in this room. If you are a born-again believer, not only is God 
with you, but his Holy Spirit is in you. This means that in the moments where you feel like the world is against you, you can remember that greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. In the moments where you don't know which way to go, we are told his Holy Spirit will teach you all things, John 14. In those moments where you just don't know and you can't make sense of your emotions, you can remember that he is your rock, that he is your refuge, that he is the one in whom you will trust. This is why your feelings are a gift, but they are terrible followers. So, hold on to the head. Hold on to the head. Go back to Scripture. Go back to the Word. Go back to the one who knows you, loves you, gave his life for you. Paul wants us to know this morning, he's saying, listen, there's a lot of Simons out there who will try to pull you away and say, it's Jesus plus. Hear me now. If ever you hear someone say, Jesus plus, you run away. Because it's all about Jesus. So, let's take a little inventory this morning. The reality is, it's not just that people out there are going to want to bend our ear and direct us. There aren't just little Simons out there, but how many of us know that there's a little Simon living in each one of our hearts? And if you don't have your hand raised, then we'll talk about your Simon later. I gotta tell you, my little Simon of the two that we've talked about this morning is legalism. That is the Simon that constantly whispers in my ear, and not only in mine, but it's the one I use to begin silently judging all of you. I begin to set up in my mind the do's and the don'ts beyond what God has, and I begin to say, oh, this person's good, this, nope, nope, oh, and I begin to call balls and strikes. And I can trace it back, I know why. You know, part of my story is when I was eight, nine years old, I began to struggle with some pretty severe depression. And for about eight to ten years of my life, man, I was just, I struggled with being just this sense of blanketed darkness. My mom and dad, who are here this morning uh, with us, they were good enough to recognize what was going on. They, they got me to see a psychiatrist who was a Christian man. I began to kind of go through, figure out what was going on. But here's, here's sort of the basis of this. Josh Diggs wanted to be perfect And I thought that if I just tried hard enough, I could be perfect. If I, I can remember, how many of you remember the game badminton? Anyone ever play the game badminton? Well, I played the game badminton badly. And I got mad if I couldn't beat my father. And then I got mad when my father would let me beat him. I was just mad all the time. Because I wanted to be perfect. No one ever told me that as an eight-year-old, you're probably not going to beat a guy who's 38 years old. But I thought, I've got to be perfect. I've got to have it all together. I've got to figure it out. And here is what this led to. Whenever you think more about what you have to do or your feelings or your legalism, here's the problem. It's all about you and it's not about Jesus. And the only result when it's all about me, oh, it's Jesus plus my good works. It's Jesus plus my feelings. It's Jesus plus. It's all about me. And that will lead to despair, to depression. It will lead to seeing others as less than you. It will lead to pride. It will lead to the sense of woe is me. It will lead you farther from God, not closer to the heart of your daddy God. I've just got to talk to some of you this morning. Some of you are convinced that you are saved because of what you do. That is not the gospel. Can I tell you some good news? You are saved because you are a rotten, screwed up individual, but Jesus loved you so much that he died for you and said his righteousness now can be yours. Is that good news? He loved me so much he saw a rotten, messed up kid, but he said, you're my boy, and I'm going to clean you up, and I'm going to make you mine. 
Don't you dare listen to any other little Simons out there who say it's Jesus plus anything else. In Christ, you have the sufficiency of God. And you don't have to look for the approval of another person because you already have it from an infinite, perfect God, the Father. And so here's the challenge, buddy. Family, listen. You need to identify your Simon. Do you tend towards legalism where it's all about the rules? Or are you more the type of person it's all about how you feel? What I would encourage you this morning, I just... Will you this morning say, God, I acknowledge that I want to be Simon. I want to have the authority to claim what is and isn't necessary in addition to you. And will you this morning simply say this prayer to God in your own heart to say, God, I lay down my Simon to you. Because as you do this, here's what's incredible. The gospel becomes more and more real. Look at these last few verses. Verse 20 through 23. Since you died with Christ to the basic principles or powers or ideals of this world, why, as though you still belong to it, do you submit to its rules? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. These are all destined to perish with use because they are based on human commands and teachings. But look at this. Such regulations indeed have an appearance of wisdom. With their self-imposed worship, their false humility, and their harsh treatment of the body. But this is key right here. But they lack any value in restraining sensual or the physical desires indulgences. More rules won't keep you from doing bad things. It's amazing. I passed four or five speed limit signs coming to church this morning. How many of those have the power to keep me from speeding? Not one of them. More rules won't make you more in love with God or keep those things that are clawing at your heart. More rules, more experiences won't give a commitment to Christ when things go bad. There's only one that we can turn to who says you are enough because of what Christ has done, and that is Jesus Christ himself. Legalism says it's what you do, but Jesus says no, it's what I've done. Legalism says it's what you achieve, but Jesus says no, it's what you get to receive. Mr. Feely and feelism says it's what you feel, but Jesus says no, it's who you now 